and welcome to Two Girls in a Pod. I'm Sharon. I'm Christy. And we are super, super honored today because we have guests on again. Today we have Frankie Sanchez and Frankie Sanchez Jr. Now we have them on for a couple of reasons. Frankie Sanchez Sr., you have a roll-up truck, which we love roll-up trucks, man. (laughs) You know, they're kind of becoming a really big thing. But you also have a history of boxing, And now, you know, we fast forward and here your son is boxing and doing MMA. Let's start with, where are you from? So my roots trace back to San Luis, Colorado. So that's where I'm from. I was actually born and raised in Denver and then did my elementary through high school in Aurora. But um, I would spend all my summers with my grandmother who lived in Chama, Colorado. Um, I'd spend summers with her, helping her out around her house. So, I mean, when they asked me where I'm from, I basically said from the San Luis Valley. That's because that's where my roots are from. And all my viewers know that I just love the Valley because I'm from Del Norte. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of cool. But then you stayed just you just stayed up in the Denver area. Yes, I did. I um I stayed up here through elementary through high school, and then um I was a wrestler, so I wrestled in junior high and high school. I got a scholarship to a a small town in Rangeley, Colorado. It was called Colorado Northwestern Community College. Um, I wrestled up there for one semester, and I decided, hey, this town's too small. I want to move maybe something a little bigger. So I transferred to Adams State. So I wrestled and lived in Alamosa for almost five years. Then I ended up staying, and my parents moved down to Fort Garland. So I ended up moving with them right after college, and um, we stayed there for a few years. So I think I probably lived there a total about nine years in the valley. Because you said about a wrestler, but we saw you box. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So um, during my, I was an amateur fighter and during my amateur career, I was pretty elite, one of the top of the nation. Unfortunately, I was in a kid by the name of Oscar De La Hoya's weight class in the box office for the Olympic trials. So um, I could not beat Oscar. No one could beat him. That, I mean, the Russians and Cubans couldn't beat him that year. So um, he ended up winning the gold medal. But instead of, um, and that was at the USA Nationals in Colorado Springs, they host the Nationals every year. So he was in my weight class, Shane Mosley, guys like that, Vernon Forrest, were all around the same weight classes. So we had a pretty elite group of fighters at the time, but he was, of course, the gold medalist that year. So I decided to go to college and try my wrestling. I, I took second my senior year in high school. So I was a pretty elite wrestler, uh, all conference, um, all state, but went to Adams, wrestled there for five years. So that, that kind of kept my drive going. I didn't box at all. So I kind of retired from boxing at the time. But then um, as I was fighting I and mean, as I was wrestling, I saw fighters like Shane Mosley, Vernon Forrest, Oscar De La Hoya winning, like winning lots of money, winning belts. So I was like, you know what? I could probably still do this. So I started getting in what they called at the time tough man competitions, underground fighting, where they'd have like Colorado Springs at the city auditorium. They'd say, hey, come and join this fight night and winner wins like 1500 bucks. So I'd go fight like four or five times in a day, um, what they're called in Brazil as Valley Tudos and um, win every tournament. So I was like, shoot, I better do this for a living. So I started training and that's how I kind of got into the professional ranks of boxing that way oh nice and then you get a food truck (laughs) yeah (laughs) yes yeah no so i mean i I was i mean i guess entrepreneur i do a lot of things i mean i had a landscaping company i tried failed at that i mean different things but i just kept grinding and grinding and grinding and uh, the food truck concept came up a friend of mine was the security manager of fiddler's green amphitheater which here in denver greenwood village is one of the biggest around besides like the Pepsi Center. And I think it's even bigger than Red Rocks because I think Red Rocks fits 10,000. Mm. Fiddler's Green fits 16,000. So he said, hey, I had a food hot dog cart guy pull out. Do you know anything about food? I'm like, well, not really, but I mean, I cook food. But he's like, well, do you think you can do something? I mean, you can make some good money. I'm like, what kind of money are we talking about? He's like, probably like $5,000 a night. I'm like, with a food cart? He's like, yeah. So <laughs> we said, I said, let me do my research. So I got on YouTube, did some research. 
and um, learned how to get licensing and all that. I did this probably within two days. We ended up getting licensed that week, and the first concert that we had was at Fiddler's Green with Snoop Dogg. We sold Ooh. out. We so we had tacos, nachos, and what was it, burritos? Four twenty fest. Yeah, it was four twenty fest, <laughs> and it was yeah. Snoop Dogg was headlining it. We sold out probably in an hour. People were amazed. I mean, people who doesn't like tacos, right? But so we uh, we did that. A friend of mine, Brett, we got the concept going, and then the next time we made it bigger, better, and then we added two or three carts. Then we ended up having three food carts and a food truck inside Fiddler's Green before COVID shut down. So oh, wow. we did that, and believe it or not, this would be. This is going to be our 10th year in business with North of the Border Grill, a Mexican food truck. So, yeah, it's been we've been fortunate, but uh, thanks to social media, we've done really well with it. I mean, you're asking about how we got going, um, giving back to the community a lot, um, doing fundraisers. During COVID, you know, everything shut down during COVID, and we almost lost everything. I mean, I remember telling my wife, looking at our um, bank statement for the business, and it was down to $32. I'm like, there's no way we're going to survive. What are we going to shut this business down or whatever. I mean, we got to figure out what we're going to do. And then stuff started rolling in. I saw a post on Facebook. Someone said, I wish that food trucks would go through neighborhoods like the ice cream man. Right. I was like, you know, that's a good idea. Yeah. So we started doing that. Started calling communities, HOAs and saying, hey, can we come into your neighborhood? And they're like, yeah. I mean, we'd go to these neighborhoods. I'm not lying to you. There was 200 people. I mean, and they had their chairs and they were spacing each other. They had their masks on, but kind of, we kept it live that way. So we started doing that. And then um, it started rolling once the schools opened up again. We started doing stuff for the schools. And doctor's offices, we'd stop by little clinics because these doctors and nurses were working overtime and we'd give them free food. Well, that right there would get us another lead for another. Um, when they were doing their company party or something, they'd call us. So kind of just did it that way. But uh, again, we've been pretty fortunate. Uh, now I have um, Frankie Jr., my daughter Ariana, working the food truck for us. So, but yeah, it's it's, it's been it's a grind. But um, Cheap labor? Learning. Yes. <laughs> I've been working since I was like 10. Behind the cashier. Aren't there child labor laws, man? I, I, I guess, but, you know. <laughs> Who's going to report it? Because then I'll have to start charging him rent, electricity, heat. Yeah. And he eats a lot, so I say, you know, you work off what you're eating. Okay. Parents always have a comeback, <laughs> man. <laughs> well, you know, that's kind of how we found you was through social media we saw about the food truck. Mm-hmm. And like I said, we love food trucks and we would say the same thing, man, they need to get those and go like the ice cream truck, really. Yeah. And we were not too far from Quail Lake and I'll see the little ice cream guy go there and he goes through there and he sells all of his stuff, man. And I'm there like, "Uh, no, it has to be something that's, you know, if you could sell a taco or something, man, I'm telling you. I mean, you know, like I said before, who who don't like tacos? Everyone loves tacos. I know. But, uh, you know, we had to find something because again, we were almost, we were close to shutting down and imagine investing your whole life-saving everything you worked for the last nine years and having it shut down because of COVID. And it was that quick. And I, I really feel sorry for a lot of these businesses that lost everything. You know, I have, I have friends that lost everything. Well, and I think the thing is too, is I think that sometimes it's stepping out of comfort zones. It's also looking at different dynamics of stuff. We're very similar because when I don't do this, I do mental health. I'm a mental health therapist. So I have my own private practice and I do that. But we also wanted to do something that we could give back during COVID because we're sitting at home. What do we do now? Yeah. You know, we said, well, why don't we do this? It's something we can do. We can, if we do a podcast that inspires somebody who, you know, somebody listens to you and says, you know, I have $32 in my bank account. I don't really have to shut down my business. There are other options available. And I think that's that thing of how do we pay it forward, even in those ways. And we did the same thing through COVID. It's like finding something else to do, something that's different, but the same kind of. Yeah, no, I agree. You nailed it right there on the head is is that uh, you got to give back. You got to always remember that. 
we're fortunate to be in the, in the situation we are. Even though it was hard work, it wasn't easy. It wasn't given to us. I'm sure it wasn't given to you guys. But um, you can't always tell these guys, the kids, since they're babies, always give back, always do something better. If you can lend a hand, lend a hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why we did what we did. Um, we actually, I mean, I kind of take credit for this, but I don't need a ribbon or a, a medal. We started this um, Feed the Homeless with the food trucks nine years ago. And I used to go downtown to the shelters. It was amazing what we would do for these people. We'd get two, 300 people in two hours feeding them whatever leftovers we had, whatever, you know, because at the time we weren't making really good money with the food truck. We were just starting, but I was like, who cares? We, we have extra can of beans, extra meat. Let's just go and feed them. So we don't, it's going to get thrown away anyway. But we started doing that. And then shoot, eight years later, we're going downtown and there's like 20, 30 food trucks down there during Thanksgiving. So the people at the shelter are like, maybe you guys don't want to come down at this time. Maybe come back another day. I'm like, totally get it. Everyone. And it's great that they're giving back, but it started getting overwhelming with clogging up the streets, um, traffic, their food was getting wasted. People were taking advantage of it. So we stopped doing that. Not that we don't don't want to do it anymore, but it just got kind of oversaturated with, you know, them trucks down there. So again, I think that with social media and with trying to do good things, like you said, just giving back a little bit, not money, just, but it is money to us because food costs us money. People don't realize that when we're donating to something, it does cost us. It's, it's not for free and our labor that we put in, but it's not that we expect it, but good things always happen when we do something. We feed a doctor's office for free. You'd be surprised. We'll get their Christmas party. Um, we'll get them, his, his, one of the doctor's buddies or her buddies to call us for a catering. So I think it's just karma. If you do good stuff for people, good stuff will happen back to you. That's a true believer in that. Well, and I think that's really the biggest thing is I tell people, you know, when we, we look and, and a lot of people think that when you are giving, you're right. They don't know the behind the scene cost to you, but that pales in comparison to what those doors that can open up, not only for you, but for any of the people that you encounter along the way. And that's kind of what our whole thing about the podcast was, is if we have these people on and if they can talk about their journey and people sitting back and sit there and say, oh my gosh, you know, I'm a wrestler or I like to box, but I don't know how to do it. Or I like to cook even. Yeah. It doesn't matter what it is. You know, last week we hadn't, two weeks ago, we had an artist on and it's like, from down North Colorado, you know, now she does all these amazing things with art. Mm-hmm. So it's those little things of reminding people, it doesn't matter where you're from, what your circumstance is, it's what you do with it. And I think it does start with also giving back. Cause I know one of the things we, we notice on your thing is y'all are always off doing something with some organization. My goodness. Yeah. You're, you're right. I mean, he, he, Frankie will tell you, Junior will tell you that we, we're always trying to stay busy. I, I don't like to stay put. I mean, it, during the day, if there's nothing going on here, I'm trying to do something. I mean, what can we do? What other food truck event can we book? Because again, life is short. You have to, and, and you try to, there's a lot of people that need help out there. Yeah, we're, we're always busy. Definitely everyone's like, how are you so dang busy? I'm like, well, we stay busy, believe it or not. And you only see probably half of it. But again, thanks to social media, we've gained so much attention and that helps our business. And, um, but again, I've learned from, I have a lot, I've had a lot of good mentors. I don't know if you guys ever listen to Gary V. Amichuk, he's huge out there now, but his whole thing is he started a business a wine company from his parents' basement and now a multi, multi-millionaire, but he goes around and gives motivational talks. But I really listen to him because he's really a go-getter, more of a stop making excuses. It doesn't matter where you're from. He said, my family's immigrants and I made it. You guys can make it. I lived in a, whatever, New York basement of his parents' home for years. And, you know, just grinding, 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 no matter if you're from the Valley, if you're from New York, if you're from Canada, you can make it if you work hard, dedication, sacrifice. And that's why I think I was successful in my sports career. And I think that's why juniors being successful now just because he's seen the way that we uh the train the way that we work the grind that we do and the giving back and the helping others that's what i think is all all part of them being successful 
Well, do you also think, though, that even for you guys, you know, when we look at boxing, you look at MMA, you hear those stories of those people. A lot of times they're, they're coming from nothing and it's this dream, not only to box but or to do MMA, but to make it. You know, and, and I mean, when you think about it, of all the thousands upon thousands of people who do it, there's a very small percentage that do, but that they have the tenacity to continue. Yeah, and I think he, I'm going to let him touch on this too. Uh, and here's a good thing is that during, it was, it was kind of weird because, and I'm, I'm stopped and I've been working on autobiography for the last 20 some years, but I want to finish it someday. It's just been so hard. But um, nowadays with science that we've been learning and with the Henry Center, we'll, we'll probably talk a little about Henry Cejudo. Olympic champion and two-time UFC champ, we've learned a lot from him. And him and I have learned a lot together. We would go to some of these training camps and just study, study the way coaches, different coaches um, do things, the way they, um, you know, with timing, with uh, max VO2, with um, training, I mean, all kinds of stuff like that. We kind of would document this stuff. And uh, the last time Henry was up here, we did a training camp, was it last month or two months ago? A couple months ago. He wrote down, he has a book that he's writing, and it's just like a little... Um, little diary and it's so crazy i have to show you guys it talks about his training philosophy of why he's the best in the world and which he is in my opinion i mean he's a two-time division champ and olympic champion right just about like how he trains how when his body's um feels like it's breaking down he's taking a day off but he has it down to a science so it really is a science so before with the jack dempsey's of the manassa and mike tyson's sometimes it was more of just who's just a stronger guy nowadays like we were talking earlier when we were when i was showing you the property it's a different level like with YouTube, with the way you can watch videos on how to train, how to recover and all that people are getting to be better athletes. So in my opinion, athletes from like Muhammad Ali till now are a hundred times better. Every athlete these days is way better, bigger, faster, stronger. They say it. it is true. Well, and I think you see that, you know, when you mentioned Henry, you know, Wei Lee did not have a good ground game. What I think is interesting is how they'll go and they'll say, who is that out there that's really good at their craft? And then they bring those people in on her last fight, just did an amazing on her ground game before she didn't really have a ground game because she has so much power. But you're right. It's that thing of being well-rounded. And, you know, we talk in the podcast a lot about we're not one dimensional and I don't care what it is we do. You have to incorporate a lot of different things, bring all of those ideas in, you sift through them, and then you pick the ones that work the best for you. Because I'm sure with you, you have a certain training style. Is that correct, Frankie? Yeah. And then what I love that we do also is we go out to a bunch of different gyms, which I think is great is that we're learning from a bunch of different people. You know, we're not staying with the same little crowd. So we'll go to this gym that, you know, produces these very like Mayweather kind of boxers, you know, very uh, flashy and stuff. Then we'll have these very, you know, brute boxers. So you kind of get a look at everything and that's where you can develop your style and see what works for you and what works against other people. Do you feel like, because you're really young, kind of young into this, because you're yeah. what, like how old? 19, just turned 19. So he's still a child. Yeah, he's a baby. He's a baby. <laughs> but what brought you into this? Because I know, you know, your dad talked about him doing that. So what brought you in? Well, I started wrestling when I was three. He kind of threw me in there. I didn't really have a choice, but I'm still forever grateful that he did. Started wrestling as I was three, all the way up until high school. And then it was about my sophomore year of high school, I want to say. I wanted to try some boxing. You know, I started getting back into the whole MMA, you know, watching. And I was like, well, let me try. I got into my first amateur fight ended up loving it and then after that after like during the off time during seasons of wrestling i'd go boxing so every other year i'd take a fight and then once i got done with wrestling i kind of got a little burnt out from it from doing it for so long i was like well let's just go straight to boxing and then after that year i graduated we just went straight into it started my pro debut right when i turned a little bit after i turned 17 and then 
from there just kept going with it. I just fell in love with it and keep going on. What is it you love about it? I love the, it to me is kind of an art form. Okay. Like when you get in there, it's like, you know, when you're doing the punches, slipping the one, two, all that, it's kind of like painting a picture, kind of like the breaststroke of a, of a painting. So I love the philosophies behind it, work behind it. It's just been always been amazing to me. That's kind of a neat way of putting it. I don't think people realize what an art form it is. But if you watch it, we do. We break it down, man. So we're, we're these kind of fans. So we're watching it and they're like, hmm, nope, that's, the form's off or this, yeah. you know. Yeah. And it is. And you watch the motion. It's almost like a dance. And mm-hmm. more so, I think, with MMA. But it is in boxing, too. But in MMA, you watch how they, they're paying attention to the person they're wrestling. And it's like this dance is going on and each move morphs into the next move and before you know it you're out <laughs> now especially with like the footwork and stuff like if you ever watched like a Lomachenko fight his footwork was so amazing because he started off as a ballerina his father would put him into dance lessons and stuff if you watch how he moves his feet the way that he doesn't cross it or anything it's because he's so good at dancing that he's dancing in the sport did you take up dancing too ballerina or did you I mean, do I ballet did, you know, a little bit I do a little bachata here and there but <laughs> not, nothing, nothing too crazy <laughs> get out there and do a little yeah, bit of dance a little dance <laughs> Little salsa, you know, walk around with it. Other than that, nothing, nothing, no, not much too dancing. You know, I do my dancing in the ring, thankfully. <laughs> okay, because you have a fight coming up, correct? I do actually uh, this Friday. Awesome. So we're at the Stampede in Aurora. It'll be my seventh professional boxing fight. What is your record right now? Uh, I'm six zero and one. Or sorry, five zero and one. Oh, nice. Five one zero losses, Four one draw. Counts. Okay, and then in MMA, uh, one and zero in MMA. Okay, so how do you decide if you're going to box or you're going to do MMA? Because <laughs> The MMA one was kind of a quick one. They like called. They're like, "Hey," because we we had a guy and he he watched me at my boxing fight. One of my first ones. He's like, "I would love for you to come and like fight with us for MMA." And I was like, "Well, of course, like I do want to take some time before I get in there, but I definitely want to try." And then uh, they had one coming up to Colorado, so they're like, "Would you like to go?" And we we're like, "You know what? Like, yeah, let's let's do it." So we got into that MMA, but usually we've been doing a lot more boxing just because I really want to develop that fundamental of boxing before I really get deep into MMA. Because MMA is just so well-rounded, you need to be great at everything. So I want to take a lot of time before I'm necessarily really ready to be in there. Because do you feel like you have enough of a wrestling background? I, I mean, feel like I have a, a really good background, but the thing with MMA is there's so many guys that are, you know, D1 athletes, college athletes, and my wrestling is great. Now, I could have been a college wrestler. I sadly chose boxing over at the end, but I still want to develop that time and really get, because wrestling is great and all, but you also have to get that MMA wrestling where you're taking down, taking punches as you're coming in, you know, because I was, you know, I took a shot, you know, I took a knee to the head, I've taken, you know, elbows to the face. So you have to really develop that, that punch and throws as you're taking down. Yeah, it's all fun and that until you get hit in the head. head yeah. <laughs> Mike Tyson said it's all they want as a game plan until they get punched in the face, and that's the truth. <laughs> right. It really is. So, do you coach? Are you, so like, are you his coach, or what is your yeah, role? Yeah, I mean, this? I'm his head coach. So I'm his coach, manager, everything. Uh, but I want him because um, he needs he needs training partners. So we signed up with High Elevation or high Elevation Fight Team and High Altitude uh, Gym, which has some of the top athletes: Cody Sanhagen, Usman, Gaethje, to name a few. I think Rose even trains it once in a while, doesn't yeah. she? Yeah, she um, So, yeah. So, you know, he, he goes there. But um, in the end, I'll, I'll definitely guide his path. Now, I've been fortunate um, also to have Henry Cejudo actually kind of step up and say, hey, listen, whatever you need with this kid, let me know. We got a plan for him. And, and, you know, from his own words, he says, this kid is the future. He goes, this with his boxing, because he's he's been born and raised basically in the MMA gym. And 
he's going to do big things. So we're taking it slow. And as he mentioned, I turned him pro at 17. Um, he had some good scholarship offers, Division Two. I mean, all over Georgia, um, Tennessee. But I and I had to talk to them. I said, listen, uh, wrestling uh, education is great. Don't get me wrong. You know, it's not like it used to be. Of course, we know this. I said, but. Uh, scholarship's a big scholarship it could be up to a $50,000 scholarship are you going to go and commit for four years because you're taking this away from someone if not that, that might want to commit or that needs money so um and I told him it's, it's you're, you're cutting weight sometimes two three times a week in college and you're gonna have to do this for four or five years so are you ready to make this commitment and let him know what I went through at Adams you know having to cut weight and it's not the same it's not just um three months and then you're done you're there year round usually you know for five years and we had a talk and I said the skills that you possess now with boxing and MMA and wrestling, I think that you can, you know, compete with some of the top pros. He's like, really? I was like, yeah. I was like, I, I've been there. I know, I know it. So we made the decision to, um, he said, okay, I'm going to turn down these scholarships, but um, I want him to turn pro right away. So instead of spending time in the amateurs, he his last two fights that he had, he fought some guys in the amateurs that placed at the nationals, like second or first, but the kid took second at the silver yeah, right. So he beat a kid who two weeks later went to nationals and took the silver medal. So I knew that he was good. And what Frankie mentioned earlier about going to different gyms, there's a lot of top gyms around here in Colorado we'd go to, and I'd say, let me see your top amateur here, you know, the guys on the USA team, and he'd bang right with him. So it was like I knew he was ready. And then I said, you know what, last but not least, let's go out to Mayweather's gym. So um, Floyd was a friend of mine from the amateurs, and um, one of my friends, Mike Leonardi, he's one of the coaches at um, Team Mayweather. So I called him up and said, hey, listen, I, before my son makes commitment to turn pro, I want to go test him out there with your guys. So we went out to, we went out to Mayweather's gym, and um, he fought two of um, Floyd's fighters, and uh, one kid was from Africa, one other kid was from L.A., and um, Frankie got the best of them and kind of beat him up in there. So I said, we're ready. So they actually called us back the next day and said, hey, well, whenever you guys want to come back, come back. So we've been out there a few times. But um, so, yeah, again, like he said, we, we're training at some of the top teams in the world. He's competing with them, and he's still young. Like I said, he's a baby. He's, he hasn't even got his mastering. He don't understand. And when I spar with him, I have to wear a body shield. Because his power is there, and he's just a kid. Like I said, he, he's not even a when, once he gets his man strength, and you don't get that to your sometimes 24, 25 years old. So I'd like to see what he's going to do then. But we're taking it slow. We're being cautious. We're not. We don't want him to get hurt, and that's why we kind of step back from the MMA game and let him do more boxing. But to, after this fight, I think we're going to slow it down a little bit and let him get a little little bigger, and then go from there. But like Henry said, the path is laid. We just got to follow it. It's already there. We already have a book on how to be a world champion and be the best in the world. With the science behind it, with the training and the philosophy, I think he's going to do big things. So that's that's what we're very excited for him. Nice. So, Frankie, what is your goal? My goal is I would I want to be in the USC. I want to be a, a champ. That's the main goal is have that belt around my waist one day. Yeah, that's about it. I mean, if, if I could somehow do boxing and MMA, like somehow get a belt in boxing and then switch over to MMA, that'd be amazing. But for right now, my main drive is MMA. Okay, and what is it about the MMA that drives you more so than the boxing? Boxing is kind of a, it's like a, MMA is just the mix of everything. Boxing is one set ground, so boxing is just boxing. MMA has the boxing, the kickboxing, the wrestling, the jiu-jitsu, which I love about it, is that there's just so much more fundamentally that you can learn and take time to figure out. Because, you know, after boxing, you you just get so good at doing one thing, you know, one style, but... MMA, it's like you got to be so well-rounded in so many things that you have to take so much time and energy to really pursue and be great at. Let me ask you this. How much time do you dedicate to this? Usually about three to four hours a day, a little more than that. That's not, I mean, that's just training-wise. It's not like, you know, reviewing the film and everything. So a good chunk of my, it's almost like a everyday job. It's my job now. 
So I, I try to do as much as I can as long as I can, whether that's, you know, training from running in the morning and then going to practice and then going to practice again and then watching what I eat. And then on top of that, looking at film, watching these people fight who I'm fighting next, what they're doing, look at my old film, look at what I was doing wrong, try to criticize myself and what I can do better. So it takes a good amount of my day, thankfully. Yeah. Okay. You know, one of the things we also talk to people about is when you make that decision to do something, how do you keep the motivation to do it? Because that's part of the thing I think a lot of people, it's like that one and done type of mentality. It's like, oh, I like this idea. Let me go do this. And then it's like, oh, yeah, that was fun now. But it, so they're kind of fluttering around and still trying to find that thing that really gives them that passion. So where does the passion come from? And then also, how do you keep that? For me, it's just knowing that there's someone out there that is better than me at the moment. Like there, there's always the bigger fish that always there's always someone better, always someone bigger. And I mean, I see that in the gym. Like when I went to Tyatsu, like when I was wrestling, I was when I started getting my senior year, I was the best in the group. So I was at the top, and I was like, okay, well, sorry, you know, lowering down a little bit. Then I got beat. And I was like, well, snap! Like there's someone that's working harder than me. And then you know, I started doing the boxing, and then you know, at some gyms I'd be better. Then I'd go to another gym, and somebody would just completely beat me up. And, you know, it happens. And then I went to, like, high altitude and I saw, like, oh, I'm watching Corey Sanning, you know, the number three ranked right now in the UFC. And I'm like, wow, like, he would probably just kick, you know, beat me up like it was nothing. And that's, that's the drive is I, I don't want to get beat up is I want to be the one that's that's on top. People are like, oh, snap, I have to face him or, or oh, no, he's coming in today. Like, I got to watch out as I want to be that that top and there's always someone that's going to be better. You know, when it comes like the Russians, you know, the, you know, everywhere around the world, there's going to be someone out there that's training hard and I want to be the one that's oh no, like he's coming in. This is who I'm going to have to face. This is who my next competition is. So for you, it's looking more at who you're going to face that motivates you. What happens when you become the best? Simply keep being better because then at, at that point, then you're facing yourself and then you can always be a better person. There's no way like you don't, no one's ever the best. No one's ever perfect. And that's, I want to start getting to like, I'm the best. I will be the best is that I want to be better than myself the day before. And then the day before that, and then start getting better and better and better and make that 1%. And I think that's really good because, you know, when you look at somebody like Amanda Nunes, who holds the belt in two titles, had this amazing run. She goes up against Pena. She loses. She comes back. She wins it again. So maybe that's that motivating thing. Then you have Usman, who was just taking everything. And he really did look like he was unstoppable. Mm -hmm. And then it took one second. And I think that's what's interesting because when you're talking about these sports, it's like you can train and you can train and you can train, but it really is just either one punch or something. Mm -hmm. So how do you prepare yourself? <laughs> and that's, and that's the crazy thing. That's what, like the coolest thing about boxing that is like, there's a puncher's chance. Like all you need is one hit. Like when you saw the, Usman was dominating that whole fight. He was winning that whole thing in that one kick, just shut his lights off. Yeah. And that's the crazy and that thing is like, it is very unpredictable in the boxing. Like, you know, anything can happen at any time. The best thing is just be ready for anything that can happen. Be ready to take that hit, roll with it, and just really hope for the best. Prepare yourself. So what do you do when you lose? I usually sit back and I, and I really think about what happened. Like, the first thing I do is I just watch that video over and over and see, well, where did I go wrong? Like, what happened? What can I do better to prepare myself to not let that happen again? Like even with this last one with the draw, the first thing I did was I literally went back home, got on the film, looked at the Facebook live video that was there and I just watched it over and over and just kept looking, okay, well, my foot went wrong there. I took a step in this way, but I should have stepped that way. And then went back and was like, okay, well, here's what I do next. And then started working that in the gym. Do you sit back and critique his films as well? I do. I'm a big film watcher and I've learned that by, you know, being at these high, high level UFC camps is that you got to watch film. 
But um, again, I know you'd ask him, has he lost? Fortunately, he hasn't lost in the pro ranks yet. So he's, he's got a draw, which was a good, humbling experience for him. And in a little way, I take responsibility for that, being his coach and manager. The kid that he fought was 30 years old and a higher weight class. It's hard to get him fights around here at his weight, normal weight that he should be. So I said, you know, 18-year-old kid, he can handle it. That was just a man versus a little boy is what, in my opinion, what it was. Frankie was hitting him with everything he had. And the guy, little Frankie beat him up the first two rounds. The guy came back and won the last two rounds. It was a draw. It wasn't a loss, but it's very, like I said, very humbling for him to know, hey, we got to take this game serious. There's pros here that train full-time or that, you know, our men have man strength, so we got to be ready for that. Um, but um, I study a lot of film. I mean, he knows. He'll see me. I'm probably watching truly three or four hours of film a day, not just on him, but UFC fights. I watch old Bellator fights. Um, I study a lot and um, I critique that. I write it down and work on stuff. And like I was telling you guys earlier, power of the of the internet. I'll watch YouTube. I'll, I'll learn something. I'll watch how the how the um, Armenians train, how the Russians train, how um, Islam and all them train. And um, I'll study. I'll, I'll take little things and think what works, and I'll try them with him. So the internet has definitely made more champions than normally would, you know. So. But yeah, I critique it, and then that's how I um, that's how I think that I'm getting into the level where he's at. Mm. So that's Frankie Senior, the coach. What is it like for Frankie Senior, the dad, watching him? <laughs> yeah. And it, uh, it's funny, I get that question a lot. Like, could you like him? It's in a, as we talked earlier, it's a brutal sport. It's not an easy sport. I mean, and I'll be honest, right now, like he's he's got a knee injury that's not 100, percent but we're trying to heal that up, and um, we're trying to. Um, I'm telling like. Dude, you're only 18 years, 19 years old. You get to be 30 my age. Like, I have a hard time getting out of bed sometimes from all the fights I've been and all the training I've done, all the coaching I've done. So, again, being a father and your son, being an elite fighter like this, it's a proud thing, but you're also very cautious too because I got to know if he's in a fight and he's getting hit to where most coaches wouldn't care, I might throw the towel a little bit earlier, you know, than that. But, um, again, I think with my experience in coaching and being basically training and being with the best coaches in the world, I think that I've learned a lot. And, um, I think I don't know if I'm more I'm a little bit more cautious with him, but um, I think that um, I'm definitely going to do my best to make to just look out for his best interest. A lot of coaches won't, you know, they won't look out for his best interest, but I think I'll do that. But um, it's, it's a proud thing. But again, I I just want him to be successful and enough to make enough money so he can purchase a home, have savings, and that's basically what my goal is. I know his goal is maybe to be a world champion. Mine is to hey, let's make some money in this sport, do the things that I couldn't do. Um, when I was in, in the sport, because it wasn't as big, the UFC wasn't oh, yeah. wasn't big back then. But um, I mean, again, he's got some great offers already. He's Fernando Vargas. They've already offered him to fight his son. He has three sons that are really elite. We got offers to fight the silver medalist from the Olympics on big cards. Um, the biggest one we just got offered was for him to fight on the Jake Paul show, and we turned it down because I know that bigger options are going to come. And that was a good opportunity. You're fighting on Jake Paul versus Silva. That's a pretty big show, and it was in Phoenix where Henry lives. We would have we would have had a lot of people there, but. I told him, trust me on this, son. I've been there. I fought on HBO. I fought on Showtime. I fought world champions. I fought three world champions. I fought Olympians. You'll get your opportunity there. I already know who you are. They're knocking on your door. Mayweather wants him to come down to his promotion. But it's baby steps right now. You're still a young man, and um, we'll get you there. So, But, yeah, but it's, it's a great, like you were asking, it's a great honor to be able to coach your own son and your kids. But, um, again, you got to be safe. And i got to put the father and coaching thing where we're two different different things on that because I got to make sure main thing is making sure for his safety and his long-term safety. Right. How does mom do with it? So <laughs> she, what she does is she really got into photography. So she's been like recording the matches and taking a lot of photos and that's kind of her like 
safe spot. She kind of like uses the like pictures to kind of drown out the whole me getting punched in the face. Because I talked to her, I would ask her the same thing too. Like, how do you do? And and she's definitely like, it's very hard for like uh, like even like my grandma. My grandma doesn't come to the match. It's just because she's so like worked up. She you know watched him do all this thing, and she can't watch her grandkids do it now. Right. So I understand that. My mom, she so far has been okay. Luckily, I haven't taken too bad of being like the worst I had was like a little bit, you know, bruised lip, a little bit of a bloody nose. Like I haven't had like cuts where it's like on my face, you know, opened up. So I guess we'll cross that bridge. Hopefully not. I mean, if it happens, I guess we'll see what happens there. But she's been doing good so far with her work and, and using other things to kind of drown out the violence of it. Well, it's kind of interesting because you do all this stuff. When do you have time for your food truck? <laughs> As I'm sitting, what is it like? What you get every Saturday? You get a taco, people? What? <laughs> no, so um, to be honest, that food truck should be making us money every hour. Like it, it should be running 24 hours. But we've learned to um, to kind of separate ourselves from working all the time to enjoying family. But although, like, we're doing a big one tomorrow here in Elizabeth. But uh, it's from like 11 in the morning to 7 at night. We're going to try it out, see how how it does, because. For instance, there's um, it's called On the Hook Food Truck. They were here last week, and I talked to the owner. I'm like, how much do you guys do? He's like, we do about $7,000 in a day. I'm like, here in Elizabeth? He's like, yeah. I was like, wow, we're going to try it. So if we can even do half of that, we're fine with it. But uh, balance it out um, to where you still work your butt off and you make money because we still got bills to pay, but um, also enjoys family time. And we, we, we really we really take that serious in us is that life is short. Enjoy your family. And we try to spend as much time as we can together. So... But yeah, I mean, but truly that, that uh, food truck should be out making money 24-7, breakfast, lunch, dinner, you know, but I just, we've learned, we did that for the last eight years. We, we hustled and we worked our butts off and we're at the stage now that we, we can kind of maybe work a couple days a week on the food truck and make enough during those days, you know, to compensate for the week. But, but we're always working the food truck is always working. I was in there and saying, I, after this podcast, I got to go wash the dishes at our commissary. So but yeah, but it's a great thing to have a good business like that. And I eventually want the kids to take over because I'm like, guys, you work two days a week and you're off the rest of the week or work the summer and take the whole year off, right? Take the rest of the year off. So I think that with the research and just being in the business, I know now that um, and with the connections, with the contacts that I have, uh, which is very important, um, word of mouth. We don't even advertise. We don't pay for advertising. We just do it on social media, which is great. So with the mentors I've had who showed me the secrets, how they've been successful, I think that that's why um, the business is good and I'm able to coach him because all he does full-time is train. All he does is train and he works with us in the food truck. So that's a, to, at this day and age, that's a, that's a good thing to, to be to have, just to be able to train full-time. So what is your day off? Never. Because <laughs> usually like I, you know, I work out Monday through Saturday and then luckily what I think is smart for us with the food truck is we usually work weekends. So like when it's like, you know, the weekend gigs, you know, everyone's like throwing the parties on the weekends and that's when we work, which is great for us because through the week I'm so busy, you know, training, but on the weekends, you know, is when I'm taking my rest day, I'm sitting there just grilling up burritos and that's when we make the best money because that's when everyone's off. Sadly, you know, that's, that ties into the family time. You know, we can't do a lot of Sunday, Sunday night football because, you know, we're out doing the tailgates or something that's going on with, you know, football games for little kids. And we've done that, which works out best for us. What about friendships and that kind of stuff? Should my friends be working on the food truck? <laughs> oh, get them going. Oh, that, that's the way you do it. <laughs> that's the way we do it. <laughs> no, um, but friend wise, you know, they're luckily I have a great group of friends that I've had since, you know, my like about freshman year of high school. I've had like the same six friends that hang out all the time. And luckily, a lot of my friends I met through wrestling. So two of my, you know, closest friends were my wrestling partners. And one, um, don't do what you met outside. That's her son is, is my friend, you know, then my friends become their parents' friends and, you know, vice all through around there. So they've always shown up to all my boxing events, you know, some of them mostly helped me train and um, I'm so grateful for them. You know, like they've been awesome for me. They've always been there in my corner too. So they're always there. 
You know, I think what's interesting is as you're talking, you know, the therapist part of me, because that's what I do for a living. But it's not just that. It's that thing of having balance, you know, and I think that the more balance you have in your life, the more successful you're going to be at whatever it is that you do. And you can often see when something goes out of balance, because when I do coaching for athletes, because I'm also a coach, I do the coaching for when they get off their game. How do you get back on your game? I'll say you're out of balance somewhere. And if we're not in balance, you're not going to be successful at the thing that you love because the thing you love becomes something you don't love after a while. But it sounds like you kind of have the balance right now. So how do you keep that? As you get more recognized and you get all of that, people want to take more of that time. Yeah, luckily, I mean, luckily I've grown up with a very big family. Like my family's always been very dear to my heart and close to me. So I try to keep them as close you know I'm more worried about the family aspect more than friends the family always comes first so I'm very rooted with them I like to say really good morals just learning from my parents from my grandparents and all that and and I know what you mean by that balancing because it's weird that you say that because like every time that like you know I've got injured and I take like you know three weeks off my life feels like in shambles like I'm done training it like my life feels so weird I feel so out of it but I just try to maintain like that that whole keep everything good like keep the friends close you know and keep like you know family and then the work and then everything else and the relaxation and um once it gets out of way I try to figure out the problem and find a solution as fast as I can and I think that's the interesting thing is we always tease her because if she doesn't do her workout it's like everything becomes so dysregulated with her and it's like but uh yeah kind of sick you got to take the day off but because there's still that mentality I've got to go I've got to go I've got to go and our body will often tell us "Mm, no I'm going to give you something and we're going to slow you down we need you to reset. So it's how taking that time to do the resets, you know, is I think really yeah. important. That's good. It's funny. It sounds like Neil for neuro force one. Uh, yeah. So Henry's on this program that he started years ago, uh, neuro force one, and we did it. Um, it's a scientific thing, but it's also a mental thing that they use, but they test his body and they let him know if your body's broken down, you got to take a day off. It's like a red flag day. So it's weird, but we're kind of trying to do the same training like that. But, um, Again, with technology and the way with science and then, you know, with like therapists like yourself, they're making these athletes just better and better every day. I mean, it's like watching the Rocky movie with the Russian when they had all the things hooked up to him. It's just like that now. It really is. That's how you need to train if you want to be one of the best in the world these days. So um, luckily, we've had that blueprint set with Henry and me for him. So um, that's why I think he's going to be successful. A lot of some, Still, some, a lot of these fighters don't have it. They're still doing the old grind mentality that these wrestlers have you just grind it out if your knees hurt grind it out it's not true anymore you'll have a short career if you do that um my shoulders hurt well grind it out be tough mm-hmm. you gotta take a break you gotta let, let your body know because i hate to see these guys in 15 20 years you know trying to communicate with someone if they're getting if they're punch drunk or if they're you know they can't even get up because their back's messed up from you know not resting it when you should have so and that's why i think he's going to be very successful because we watch him and not only that you talk about the reset I tell him sometimes after his last fight that he had to draw with, he wants to train on Monday. And I was like, look, if you train, you're training against my word. So if you screw yourself up, that's on you. Like, I'm telling you, you need to take a break. Like, let your brain heal. Um, The Colorado Boxing Commission is good because after a fight like that, they give you a mandatory seven-day suspension, even if you didn't get touched, which I'm like, you should be. Nice. You know, all the build-up to the fight, maybe in sparring or something, you got hit. But they're, they're looking out for you. But um, a lot of commissions won't do that. But for ours, they do. And um, they gave him a seven-day suspension, which is great. But I was like, dude, you need to just let your body heal. Even if you didn't get hit, the stress of build-up for the fight, you got to just let it heal. Well, I think, so. too, though, the mental piece that comes in is then when you go back to right back to training, you're training against that opponent. 
sometimes because you're wanting to fix that instead of looking forward to what am I going to do with the next one? Because our brain will do that. It, it gets into that really weird space. And I think that's the part that I see with the mental health piece of it. And, you know, it's not just in, it's in every sport now. You know, they're talking about the mental health piece of it. We're having too many of our athletes that are burning out. They're getting into these anxiety, depressive stuff. And then it's just like messing up. And once again, it's that thing that they truly love to do. And now they can't do it. There's a good fighter by the name of Ryan Garcia. He had a, he's one of the elite, he's a WBC champion. He had to take off because um, he had a mental health breakdown. You know, he came out publicly about it, which is, people don't realize how, strong the mind is you know the mind can play a lot of tricks on you and um, it can definitely hurt hurt a person bad to where i mean suicide and all that you know so fortunately we try to focus on him and and, and i still try to instill on him dude you're just you're still a kid so go enjoy your life forget about training day take the day off go enjoy go to the pool with your friends go do something because you still got to live that life but he, i think he realizes that he is amongst one of the top fighters in the world and you know he's getting trained by one of the best teams in the world in my opinion the best the Cejudo's team and that's training been training since he was in 2008 from the olympics so being around that and um watching the way they train and, and just it's basically a blueprint the blueprint's already set you just got to follow it and you know keep your body healthy and um he'll he'll be successful like that but again it's, it's not just always about winning for me it's for him it's about just going out there enjoying it you, you're still living your life but also saving a little bit of cash and putting that away for from when you need it. And that's that's my main goal for him. I know, again, like I said, his is to be world champion. But I know he, he likes the money of it too. He's got sponsors now that are helping him out. You know, I think that with me being a former fighter and a pro fighter, um, I know how to how to do that. And I think he's pretty fortunate with that too, that I can get him sponsors and so we can just train full time. So, yeah, I mean, we're, well, we're grateful. Well, I think that's the dad coming in. I love that piece. But you got to say money. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But the fun part, I know whenever we're watching – some of the matches up there and their their coaches are saying, are you having fun? And I'm thinking, hell no, yeah. I wouldn't be having yeah. fun. <laughs> but it's good you enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. Do you have fun? I have a lot of fun. I <laughs> love it. Yeah, It's so much fun. Well, I think there is something, and you can see it, and we're talking sports now, but I think it's when you see anybody who's doing something they love, you can see it. It comes out in everything that they do. If they're boxing and even if they're getting hit, you know they're still in it. That always freaks me. Amanda Nunez, I always know when she starts to have fun, she will smile. Yeah. Doesn't that, you, you hit me, but I'm doing something I love. And I think that's what it is, is when you start to see that. And, and I think that, I think, is what, when, you, when the little kids are looking at this, you know, and I always tell people, as adults, we should always role model for children. I don't care where we are. And sometimes that's hard to always be on your game. Yeah. But I think that that's what it is. And I think when a little kid sees that and they get to say, oh, man, they look like they're really having fun. This must be something really cool to do. So it kind of pushes them and motivates them and helps them to realize it can be fun. You can have fun and enjoy something that you do, that you earn money at. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. Because, I mean, uh, I do the. I was doing my little sister's wrestling, her Falcon Creek uh, middle school wrestling. And I'm going back there again because, oh, I love working with the kids. Like, seeing them try a new sport for the first time and then you're in there watching just a bunch of little kids kind of roll around and wrestling, doing the little stuff. I love it. So I, I love, you know, going there and showing the kids that there's so much that you can do with it. There's so much fun to have in the, in the weird sports that you wouldn't expect it. Like, most of these kids are, you know, football kids or basketball. They're like, oh, you know, my brother said try. I'm going to try. And then they get in there and end up love throwing, you know, another kid around. So that's, that's the best part. I think kind of what's cool for me is she grew up no sports. Nothing. Yeah. 
No sports in my family. My my parents, nobody watched sports oh, of any wow. kind. Yeah. I didn't even take gym in high school. Wow. I was excused from it for religious reasons. Okay. okay. So, yeah. <laughs> so then she gets with me and my family watched football. We followed boxing. I mean, we were into sports. Yeah. I mean, Olympics. We were watching tennis. We didn't care what it was. Yeah. My family was very sports-oriented. I come from a very large family, so sports was a big thing for a lot of it. And so, you know, here I am. And she's there like... We had to stop watching. I cannot explain football to her <laughs> every yeah. play. So I'm just there like, okay, no football. But she likes baseball, so we can do baseball. Yeah. Okay. But it's kind of interesting because then she says, well, I like MMA. I said, why didn't you ever tell me this? I've been not watching MMA or doing all this stuff all these years. Yeah. And you now you tell me? So now we get to do it. And, we, you know, it's something. And, and we love doing it. Yeah. You know, it, it becomes those things. And you don't really know it. And I think that even exploring that, you know, like working out and stuff like that. It was once again, something that they just didn't do, mm-hmm. you know, but what it provides for you. And I tell people, it's not when I'm doing mental health, I always tell people, I, my job is not just your mental health. You are not a one dimensional person. We're going to look at your physical health, your spiritual health, your mental health, all of the stuff that goes along with it, because we're so much more than that. You know, you're so much more than the fighter and the MMA. There's so much more to you than that. And what is that that you give back? And, you know, when you talk about giving back to the community, that's a huge piece. When I think sometimes we lose that piece in it. And I think that's why maybe some people aren't as successful as they could have been. And that's one of the reasons that we wanted to do a podcast was because we wanted to really shine the light on the people that, you know, that are trying to make things happen and, you know, showcase that people that persevere and, you know, can really accomplish something. Yeah. So, and, and to promote small business, to yeah. promote minorities and women, to promote people who have a dream and how do you make that happen? And, you know, we always say if, if we have them on our podcast and, if, you know, if it gets four people going to your food truck or to your fight, then that's really cool because it's opening the world to somebody else that maybe they don't know exists. Right. Well, you guys are in the right field because all, all my mentors and the very successful mentors have told me that podcast is the way to go. You get a good, good podcast and social media is the way to go. So you guys are doing the right thing and you're helping people. And again, the gift of... um touching someone with voice and, you know, just like you said, maybe inspiring words can change a lot of lives. I mean, and I was telling the kids, I told them a few years ago, you'd be surprised. I'll have to sit down one day and open up all my, I get messages from people on Facebook, on um, Instagram that are crazy. Like, like you guys said, I saw you in a fight and maybe, but maybe because I fight, you guys started liking the MMA world. I don't know, or MMA game, but I get messages from like the guy that said, I was going to think about committing suicide because my wife had left me, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, your kind of words with your son, seeing you with your son inspires me to, you know, just to, to give back or whatever it is. It's, I get messages like that all the time. you be surprised, which helps me. So, and that's why it's just being, being positive, trying to do positive things, trying to be a good person. It's like, just be a good person. It's not hard to, to just tell someone good morning or to, to um, you know, just be a good person to somebody. And, and I think positive things happen. And that's, you can, you can change someone's life by a smile, by a, by a handshake, by just telling them, you know, good job. It's amazing how far a little bit of kindness can go and real quickly your fight coming up promote a little bit uh we find this kid named kobe Barr is making his debut good kid good had a good a couple of amateur fights so be a tough opponent there'll be at the 125 weight class it's going to be at the stampede in aurora colorado this friday at around i want to say doors open at six six yeah i probably won't be fighting till about nine, nine. Mm-hmm. it'll be okay. one of the later later bouts me usually either co-main event or main event usually so around there Great fights. I mean, it's always good to support, you know, local shows. I mean, these are the guys that are fighting with heart. Like, these are the ones that are doing it just because purely they love it and want to make something out of themselves. So it's always fun to see, you know, you know, people in there just 
throwing down. I mean, there's nothing better than watching a boxing fight firsthand. Yeah. Awesome. And your food truck, tell us again the name of it. So it's North of the Border Grill. It's northofthebordergrill.com. And, um, you know, we're on social media. Facebook is kind of the best way to get a hold of us. But we're around all over. We're going to try to stick more to the uh, Elizabeth area down here in, in um, I guess, outskirts of Aurora, Denver. But uh, we go around. So, we, you know, we, we're up there. We do weddings. We do anniversaries. We just did a wedding this last weekend. Uh, unfortunately, we also do funerals. But uh, if you have a funeral and you don't want to, have to worry about bringing all that food in. We'll take care of that for you. So just give us a call. But uh, no, man, we, we appreciate it. And if you ladies want to come, we have two tickets for you guys to this fight. So if you guys are able oh, to make the fight, let us know. Style. We would be there because right. we're all about that. Real quickly, once again, we want to say we're so grateful for each and every one of our listeners. We hope that you guys support local business and uh, Frankie Sanchez Jr. on his up-and-coming fight. Uh, Thank you to both of you. Yes, we're so honored that you guys joined us. That was so awesome. We look forward to next week. Uh, Once again, always be kind to others. And we will... Any last words from you? You were so quiet this time. No, I know. (laughs) But that's okay. We were hearing good stuff. (laughs) Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye.